Hey, you're listening to Just Say the Word. I'm your host, Erin Sanchez, and this is a storytelling podcast. In every episode, you'll hear a story from me or my guests from around the world. Then we'll encapsulate a key lesson from that story in just one word you can apply in your own life or business. If you're an entrepreneur looking to get inspired and make your mark on the world, you're in the right place. Your story is your legacy, and I want to help you tell it better. Visit candidlyerin.com for more writing, communications, and personal branding advice. Welcome back to today's episode. I have a very special guest who I've just met. Um, I have Cindy Colby on the show today. She's a lifelong disability advocate, even before her youngest daughter's spinal cord injury. Um, She ran a nonprofit, managed group homes, and worked at a state institution. She also volunteers for disability and mental health nonprofits. Cindy is the author of a memoir called Struggling with Serendipity, and we're going to get more about the story um, regarding her daughter and her book as well. So thank you, Cindy, for being on the show today. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Erin. So Cindy, tell me a little bit, so we've got the official bio, right? But tell us a little bit about this story. You know, you shared it with me in email, and I have some more information about your book here, but just kind of you know, go back to um, that moment when your life sort of, you know, took a a turn in a very different direction. Yes. My story is one I never thought I'd tell. You know, I lived in a small town in Ohio with my husband and three kids, and we really had an ordinary life, a good life, but much as you'd expect. You know, the kids were active in sports and music. One day, my we drove to Columbus for my son's Ohio State choir concert. And when I was driving back, I had my two daughters in the car. It was late at night, and we were so close to home, five minutes from home, and I fell asleep at the wheel. And in just a few seconds, you know, life completely changed, not only for my youngest daughter, who sustained a spinal cord injury, but for our whole family. And we had no idea then and for quite some time where it all would take us. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, just when I started reading that email from you, I I actually read it out loud um, to my mom who works with me and she, we were both like near tears. So um, tell me, you know, so how old was your daughter at the time of the accident? Mm-hmm. She was 14 years old. Okay. And before the accident, she was shy, uh, pleasant kid. But after the accident, she somehow was able to look at it as something that happened. We, nothing we could do about it after it happened. So she was able to somehow completely focus on what's next. What do I need to do next to be more independent? Now, this is at a time where the rest of the family, I mean, we're just devastated. (laughs) She has a severe injury. uh, It's a cervical in the neck, uh, C6-7, which means that she's quadriplegic. She still is. She's paralyzed from the chest down. She doesn't have finger function except for one finger on one hand. She can move a little bit. (laughs) She can move her arms. And yeah, no movement uh, below the chest. So in addition to just 
not walking, which of course is kind of the first thing that I thought of that most people think of when they think paralysis. We quickly learned that there's so much more to it than simply not walking, uh, you know, which I'm not minimizing uh, that challenge, but I'm saying that it's much more. So immediately we were looking at a lot of uh, medical challenges and worries and risks that accompany a spinal cord injury. So for me, after the accident, it was um, not only devastating uh, for <laughs> usual reasons, but for me, I also was dealing with guilt in addition to depression, which I had been diagnosed with for years and had been in denial about. So there were, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on at that time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I'm sure that guilt, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, what as a mother, what you were probably going through. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, what, so you said you were already struggling with depression and you were kind of um, maybe kind of ignoring it a little bit. So after this, was it something that you just couldn't ignore anymore? Like you had to face some of these um these personal challenges that you you've kind of been battling behind the scenes or what did mm -hmm. that look like? Well, um, that's a good question. You know, the answer is no, not right away. After the accident, I was focused on doing everything I could for Beth. It's what I needed to do. And um, so in order to do that, in order to support her in every way I could, I did not deal with my emotional issues. I was just tamping it down, denying it, hiding it. There was a time period where I would wait to be alone to cry. And then my goal during the day was not to cry in front of anyone. I'm um, just incredibly difficult. Though at the same time I'm, I'm telling you this, I, you know, and even at the time when after the accident, I was very aware that I, I walked away from the accident. I didn't have any uh, long-term injuries as a result of the accident. And here was my daughter who I was you know, with all the time the first years, who was every day struggling. Now for her, for Beth, her struggles were physical and major physical battles. You know, learning how to um, do the most basic things, feeding herself, moving her arms and, and using hands with no finger function to, uh, well, there's actually reflexes in the wrist that can be used to hold big things, so big spoons, so you know, she could learn to feed herself again and brush her teeth. And then later it was sitting up, um, being able to roll over, it just all the such very basic things that we all take for granted. So Beth had such an obvious struggle all the time. And I didn't feel like, I didn't want to worry my family with um, my struggles. That makes sense. I mean, I, I 
I I say that makes sense, but it, I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, it makes sense sure. in in the you know in the sense that you're trying to kind of put all the attention on your daughter because she and you're you work in the 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 uh, right. nonprofit world and as a disability right. advocate, and mm-hmm. so um, I'm sure that you're familiar with the the term invisible disability. And right. so you know there's all kinds of stuff going on with people behind the scenes that's not necessarily quite as visible. So it's probably mm-hmm. a lot easier for you to kind of, like you said, tamp that down and and um, keep some of that um, from your family because you probably had <laughs> your family's best interest in mind, right? You were like, well, I can't I burden did. them I with did, my stuff. You know, um, if there's a takeaway from this story, I hope that people hear to ask for help when you need it. I wish that I had, and my family wishes that I had. You know, they weren't aware of how much I was struggling at the time. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I mean, that is a wonderful takeaway. We, everyone can use help, um, you know, from time to time, some, sometimes more than others. And that Mm -hmm. is, um, yeah, that's a great takeaway, Cindy. So tell me, so your daughter was a swimmer beforehand. Is that correct? Uh, No, no, actually she was a volleyball player before and after the physical therapist suggested that she do water therapy oh, in the warm water pool at rehab. Well, she did, but it was interesting. The first time there were two physical therapists in the water holding her up. Mm-hmm. And because she had, you know, very little uh, control, you know, of, of her body. Well, Beth being Beth, right away she wanted them to let go of her and in the water and uh she wanted to float and they were um they tried to be very tactful you said oh let's do shoulder exercises or whatever and but she kept coming back to it and long story short after a couple sessions in the water she was able to float on her back which is not easy when you um you know, your muscles don't work from the chest down. Right. But she learned that if she moved her arms in the water while she was floating, she could stay up. Mm. And then she liked that. She liked moving in the water. So this slowly evolved into her floating across the pool with her arms underwater. Um, And at that point, she really wasn't thinking about swimming. But we were part of a spinal cord injury group that went to the wheelchair games. And her friends encouraged her to participate with them at the wheelchair games. And one of the sports is swimming. Well, right away, Beth says, oh, well, I don't swim. You know, I, I move in the water, but I'm not good enough to, you know, compete in swimming at the wheelchair games. Well, her friends said, really they just they had been to them before and it seemed you know it doesn't matter come and compete in swimming as well as other sports well she did and the very first meet that very first wheelchair games her very first swim meet we met a national team coach and this is just one of the millions of serendipity uh, experiences that we've had and the reason that I put it in the title of my book, uh, Struggling with Serendipity. 
well, the national team coach encouraged us to go to Seattle. We were in Michigan at the Michigan Wheelchair Games. We lived in Ohio. And he said, well, next month, there's a big meet in Seattle you should go to. We, we had never traveled with a wheelchair. <laughs> this was like a really big thing for Beth and I. But we did end up going. And what we discovered is uh, you know, a whole new world. When we walked into that swim meet, there were prosthetic limbs propped up against the bleachers. And there was such a overwhelming acceptance of disability and welcoming of uh, people with all kinds of disabilities. It was just really a wonderful thing to see. And also how people swim. You know, there's uh, many ways, you know, you probably think of the more traditional strokes, but, and those are used in Paralympic swimming. But, um, right, you're just talking about, we saw people with so many different kinds of abilities. And Beth decided to find out what she could do in the water. That first meet, she could hardly go the 50 meters of the pool. <laughs> it was like a struggle. And, but she started working with swim coaches and let's see, I probably should uh, fast forward this a little bit for you. No, no you're fine. Because it was, it was a long process. Mm -hmm. uh, but she, first thing, she decided she wanted to swim forward on her stomach, which honestly, I didn't think she could do. And the swim coaches didn't know if she could. Very difficult. <laughs> I, I took her to the YMCA many times, and she'd just try and try again. And at first, she was just trying to move in the water, not even do a swim stroke. And the goal was just to get from one end of the pool, one end of the pool to the other, you know, going forward. You know, and that took months, but she did it. And then she started thinking about, oh, you know, let's get a swim stroke in here. Um, it was really an amazing process to watch, but it also was a process done by a very, very determined <laughs> teenager. Yeah. Who, uh, just would not give up. Uh, you know, it amazed me how many times she actually failed. You know, she, she, well, for example, when she first tried to do the traditional backstroke and move her arms out of the water, she couldn't do it. She sunk every time, but she didn't give up. <laughs> she just kept trying and, um, Anyway, that, that was pretty incredible to watch. She advanced to learn all the strokes, and four years after her injury, she was on the U.S. Paralympic National Swim Team and competing around the world uh, and earning international medals for top three places. And wow. three of those years, three of those years that she was on the national team, she also was on the Harvard Women's Swimming and Diving Team, a Division I college team. And she was the first on that team with a visible disability. Uh, just a wonderful experience. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, she <laughs> it, definitely sounds, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, just, no. I'm so in, inspired and impressed by her her will, you know, she sounds mm -hmm. very driven. Um, and she yes. was just still a teenager at that time, right? Right. right. Yeah. Oh, right. Gosh. And she was able to become completely independent about four and a half years after her injury. Oh, wow. Which, right, in her self-care. I mean, she's, she needs a, 
accessible environment. Mm -hmm, of course. Uh, elevator if there are steps. Uh, but in that, yeah, it's amazing. She can do everything she needs to do. Um, she went on, she was the first in our family to go to an Ivy League school. And then after Harvard, she went to Stanford Law. And all that time she's doing a bunch of volunteer work and mentoring and and even now she's a lawyer in DC and she has pro bono cases with um, disability nonprofits and businesses and that's an that, those are important to her. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. yeah so she, I'm, I'm very proud of her. She's she's um, something that's for sure. And we just had uh, she just had a gorgeous wedding in May. It was just wonderful. Uh, we love our new son-in-law, Dan. And um, right, it's it, it's been something. It's been a ride. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, she, wow, what an inspirational story. I mean, that doesn't even begin to, to touch on, um, you know, how it makes me feel. But I'm curious, and I feel like our listeners will be curious as well, about those early years, um, like right around the time, you know, right after the accident, did it change? I mean, obviously now you have a wonderful relationship with her. I mean, even in the, the photos mm -hmm. you sent me, but how was your relationship like right after that happened? Was she, she seems like she just kind of was like, well, this is, you know, the, the hand I was dealt and I'm going to make right. the best of it. But, you know, kind of tell me like how things were with, with your relationship with her at sure, that time. Sure. Well, we became close and we became a team because those first years we did everything together. Um, but that's a good question. She also was a teenager. It's interesting. Uh, I've talked to her, to Beth about this, and she's very open about it. The, the things that we clashed on, uh, it wasn't often, but when we did, it was really typical teenage things. Like if her favorite jeans weren't clean, <laughs> or if, um, you know, really, it was, it was that kind of stuff. Or if, oh, she also was very concerned. I, I think, um, you know, a changing body image, she's sitting in a wheelchair. She wanted the bottoms of her, the hem of her jeans to cover most of her shoes. And, you know, we laugh about it now, but at the time, you know, she was pretty serious about it. So, you know, so after she would transfer, like, from the car to her chair or whatever, um, that was the first thing, you know, adjust the pants. But it was kind of, it was kind of a funny process because, in a way, looking back, because, you know, so I would adjust them, and I, I think I have them, you know, pull the pant leg down a little bit, and I think I have it perfect. And she'd kind of glance down to, oh, no, can you do it some more? You know, so it was, it was this, always this process with these genes. But it was <laughs> things like that. And, um, yeah, uh, amazingly, it wasn't uh, what I wondered. She was fortunate that she did not struggle with depression. And like many do, right after spinal cord injury, you're reassessing your whole life. It, um, kind of changes many things. Yeah. But yeah, for Beth, it was more of the physical. And then being a teenager, and, and she also was, um, one of the things that bothered her the most about her disability was not being able to put her hair up in a ponytail. Mm. And this, this girl, I mean, I, I, 
she could be so stubborn, but it served her so well because every day when she wanted her hair up in a ponytail, she had an elastic band and we tried all kinds of elastic bands, but there was no magic one. Um, but anyway, so she'd take an elastic band and she'd try to put her hair in a ponytail. And it wasn't until she had tried and failed several times that she'd hand it to me and I'd put it up. Well, if it was me, after a few times and I just couldn't do it, I would give up. And But she didn't. So after two years, it took her two full years after her injury, uh, she figured out how to do it. She Earlier than that, she figured out part of it, like getting it around one, getting around, getting the elastic around once, but then it wasn't tight enough. So then she, it was months later, she had to figure out how to turn it and get it tight enough to hold her hair. So yes, it, that's a really good example of uh, how Beth approached her challenges. Yeah. And no wonder, I mean, no wonder she was able, I don't even know that, you know, I don't even want to think about going through law school. So, I mean, it's just that, <laughs> that sheer determination, you know, um, and that mm -hmm. is such a great example. And I think it's, it really paints a picture of the little tiny things that we take for granted every day as well. And I think it's really important for, for everyone to, um, have those reminders sometimes, you know, um, no, right. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, so I'm curious about, you know, the, all of this led to your book, Struggling with Serendipity. Mm -hmm. And um, serendipity is defined as the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why you wrote the book and kind of, um, you know, why, why serendipity? I'm super curious mm -hmm. to kind of hear the story of your book. Sure, sure. Well, the struggling part in the title isn't hard to figure out. Right. <laughs> I definitely uh, I was struggling and, and Beth was physically. Uh, it was definitely a challenge. Um, the serendipi serendipity part seemed to start when she was in high school. She has an attitude of possibility. You know, she didn't accept traditional limits on what she could do and what she, what she could accomplish. So I think that's part of it. So as she's moving forward, she's also open to possibilities and opportunities. So with that attitude, I think so many things seem to drop in her lap. But at the same time, she was working hard and kind of looking for those opportunities. Uh, for example, the, um, the national team coach, that's one of the examples of serendipity in the book, that he just happened to be there uh, the same time that we were, because that definitely was, was a turning point. Another, another example that what I think of as serendipity chance occurrence <laughs> that's a happy one when we did go to that first swim meet in seattle we were driving from the airport and beth said oh mom look at this uh, billboard and it was a picture of a woman in a power chair power wheelchair with a graduation gown on and the billboard said 
quadriplegia at Harvard, A plus. Wow. And it was just such an unusual billboard. We had never seen one like that. And Beth was quadriplegic. And so she's, it, it was interesting. Uh, we, we saw the same billboard in different cities uh, two other times. And she never openly talked about applying to Harvard, but she was interested. So when we were on the East Coast doing college visits, Harvard wasn't on the list. We saw Johns Hopkins and I'm not sure what else. But anyway, when um, it was time to go home, she asked to go see Harvard. And I don't think she would have if we hadn't have seen those billboards. And she said she really liked the idea that a college would acknowledge and appreciate the contributions that students with disabilities can make. Uh, so we toured Harvard and then that was the thing because she just fell in love with it. It is a beautiful, beautiful campus and area. So she decided to apply to Harvard early admission and then to apply to other places later. Well, when she was accepted, she told us, uh, you know, I, if I don't go to Harvard, I'll always wonder, you know, what it would have been. So my husband and I decided, okay, we'll make that happen. Even though we, we figured it out and the cost of going to Harvard for four years was more than what our house was worth. I oh mean, we goodness. could mortgage it, but <laughs> yeah, but we said, oh gosh, we can't hold her back. Now, another serendipity thing that happened related to that is uh, that uh, that same year that she was accepted, Harvard, for the very first time ever, decided to, uh, to give full rides to students who uh, um, were considered low income. Well, we had a, turned in all of our financial aid forms and I was working full-time as a group home manager. My husband was working full-time as a teacher, in, but we're in small town Ohio, so salaries aren't real high there. And uh, John was teaching summer school too. Well, even with those, all that combined, we were considered poor by Harvard standards. And because of that, uh, Beth had a free ride. In fact, they even had an allowance uh, that helped with her travel costs to and from school. So that was incredible. That was so unexpected, but wonderful too. So that's just one of the, some of the examples. Uh, they just, you know, seem to keep happening. Um, early on when they started the, these serendipity events, I could appreciate them. I was glad that they were happening, you know, but I was still struggling. So yeah, it's interesting how, how that all works. Yeah, no. And, and I, I love those examples and I love that, um, you know, something you said, I just want to highlight is there were all of these things that seemed to be landing in her lap, but at the same time, she was working really hard and she was also, you know, one, keeping her eye out for opportunity, you know, like when you're looking for those mm -hmm. opportunities, right. And when you believe that, hey, if, you know, if I don't give it a shot, like, then I'll always wonder. And I'll, so it, it really is like, I believe that so many of us do have these 
opportunities all around us. And it's really about the actions that we take and how we look at it. And so, you know, kudos to, you know, both you and Beth for, for seeing those opportunities and then making them something, you know, like owning them. So that, that's great. Thank you. But you know, I think it's just Beth on that. Yeah. (laughs) She, um, she wasn't afraid to fail and she wasn't afraid, you know, to be rejected, you know, like to apply to Harvard, Mm -hmm. even though she really thought she would, she didn't tell anybody when she applied. So that was something that served her so well is that being willing to fail because she did many times as she was learning to be independent, but she didn't give up. And that's the whole thing. Yeah, no, it's very, very powerful story. And man, yeah, she just sounds like an amazing, amazing woman. And so when you, when did you decide in this journey to write the book, Struggling with Serendipity? Mm-hmm. I couldn't begin to think about it until right. uh, the 10-year anniversary. And I don't know exactly why it was then, but after that, it, I felt compelled to write about it. I've always liked to write. I've always been interested in writing. And people before the 10-year anniversary would tell me, you know, you've got to write about this. And then I'd just say, well, okay, but I can't. (laughs) You know, I just really felt like I couldn't. Uh, And, but after the 10-year mark, it was something I had to do. But when I started, it was more of a story about Beth. And... Uh, you know, a writer friend told me, you've, you've got to go deeper. It's it, because this story, especially the first four years, uh, you know, we did everything together. It's really a shared, shared story. And I'm in it too, <laughs> even though I would have preferred to take myself out of the story right. as I was writing it. But it did force me to be more honest and open with my family about my experience after the accident. And also, uh, I've become more of a mental health advocate. I spoke, uh, I spoke with This Is My Brave at a show to share my experience with depression and to encourage others to, to get help. Um, yeah, so it, it was a, a, a difficult process because I had to kind of come to terms with all of that but it was healing too and I'm glad I did it yeah yeah you kind of had to revisit some of those painful things but at the same Mm -hmm. time I I don't know about you but as a writer myself I feel like sometimes writing something is where I figure things out like when I'm writing it Mm -hmm. I'm like oh this is you know I'm kind of exploring and and getting introspective Um, so I'm not sure if that was your experience but I could imagine Mm -hmm. that it might be yeah very cool. No, I, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to, I haven't had a chance because you and I connected. Um, I was actually on a trip out of town, but I definitely want to get my hands on the book and give it a read because it's it's just such an inspirational story. And, and I'm glad your writer friend pointed you in that direction because I think people would have had a lot of questions about you, right? Because you mm-hmm. are part of that story. Absolutely. And I love that you framed it earlier as you and Beth were a team and and just gosh, what a, a strong um, family you know you you must have and and some deep you know core values there for sure. So thank you so much yeah, for sharing this you. story. Thank you. I've heard people say that before about how we're so strong. You know, honestly, I 
even now I really don't think of myself that way. Mm -hmm. I, I think that when adversity happens, you know, we just do the best we can. I'm a peer mentor for the Reef Foundation for moms of kids with new injuries. And it just reminds me that, you know, it doesn't really matter, I think, um, uh, how together you are or whatever, how strong you are. Uh, I think there's just some situations that really challenge everyone. And that's okay. You know, I think part of what I've learned to accept with myself is, is uh, not being strong at times and needing help at times and not being okay sometimes. Uh, and I think that's all part of it too. I love that. Uh, no, what a great addition. Thank you for um, making sure that our listeners know that because I think, you know, there's sometimes there are those messages of um, out there that are super, you know, motivational that sometimes people just don't want to hear at that moment because they're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling or I'm in pain or whatever. And that's mm -hmm. okay. You know, and it's like you right. said, it's okay to be in that place. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, you can't get out of it, but you might need, you might need help to get there. So very mm -hmm. wise words. Exactly. Well, thank you. Yeah. And so where can people find your book? Amazon, I'm assuming. Yes. I mean, actually everywhere books are sold. Oh, great. Um, yes. I was pleased that I, it, I did not self-publish. I was able to find a publisher to pick it up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's everywhere. And also on my website, if anyone would like a signed copy, and oh. my website is the same name of the book, strugglingwithserendipity.com. Perfect. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to get all of those details from you as well so that I can put them in the show notes so people can easily visit your website, find your book. Do you have, are you active on social media? Is there anywhere people can find you on there? Yes. Uh, yes. I'm active on Twitter at Cindy underscore Colby. Colby is spelled K-O-L-B-E. And it's also on my website. If, uh, if that's easier to go there, uh, all of my social media links are on my website. Perfect. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for, you know, spending time with me today and sharing your story. And um, I know our listeners are going to have um, questions and, you know, want to learn more about you. So um, strugglingwithserendipity.com and Cindy's book is Struggling with Serendipity, found you know, online and in a bookstore near you. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you want to learn better branding and communication skills or more about this podcast, please visit www.candidlyerin.com or just say the word podcast.com. You can also find me everywhere on social media at candidlyerin. And make sure to use the hashtag just say the word in your social media posts so I can see your stories of resilience, transformation, and lessons learned because your story matters. Remember, your story is your legacy. Everybody has a story and the world should hear yours.